Today, we'll continue with part two of our Circles Loving Others series. And if you've been following along, you'll know that last week, Pastor Dan looked at those in our inner circle. And talking about Pastor Dan, the Birch family, they're actually making their way back home. They attended a wedding, and uh, so they're on their way back home. All right? You don't see them there. You're probably like, where are they? My wife isn't here. The Birches aren't here. I told them, like, everyone is leaving me. Like, what's happening here? Anyways, let's continue. So if you've been following along, we looked at those in our inner circle. And this morning, we'll be looking at our circle of influence. The current word for winning authors to the faith is evangelism. And that can be an emotionally charged word. For some, it refers to an aggressive effort to win the unchurched into the faith by this turn or burn method. And honestly, I think I've only met two people in my 11 years of pastoring who made a commitment to follow Christ through this method. So a head-on effort that's too aggressive often has the opposite effect of its intent. And it can be seemingly intrusive and presumptuous at times. And on the other hand, there is the other extreme of evangelism which says little about faith itself and concentrates on ministries that meet human needs through strong church programming and openness to the community. And this often makes it clear that everyone is welcomed with no strings attached. And while for most of us this is more attractive, it runs the risk of never quite letting the people it reaches Know that it is Jesus Christ who leads us to sponsor these caring ministries and outreaches. And so there is a resurgence of emphasis on evangelism in churches today. And we thank God for that. But with that being the case, let me say it candidly. I believe that Jesus' calling of his disciples provides us the insight we need for authentic evangelism And it also shows us how Jesus reached those in his circle of influence. We'll explore first Jesus' call of his disciples, and then we will draw some guidelines for our own witnessing, because that's what evangelism is. It's witnessing. That's what it is. And whenever we say the word witnessing, some of us are just shaking in our seats, even as I'm saying that word. But there are three things that stand out from our passage today. One, Jesus invites. Two, Jesus cooperates with the Holy Spirit. And three, Jesus involves. Our passage for this morning comes from John 1, 29. Uh, Well, we'll be starting at verse 29. And so if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. Let's read. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down 
and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day was there again, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you for that which we're about to learn, Lord. I pray, God, may your word do its good work in each and every one of us and those tuned in online today. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. So point one, Jesus invites. That's my first point for you. So John the Baptist is holding forth with his mighty preaching, and he's calling people to repentance. People are flocking to hear him. They're responding to his preaching and are being baptized by him in the Jordan. That's a scene here. They thought John was Elijah returned to earth. Some even thought he was the Messiah. But no messianic complex controlled John the Baptist. He knew who he was, and he knew who Jesus was. In fact, he says, I baptize with water unto repentance, but he that is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The next day, after talking about Jesus in that fashion, John the Baptist with two of his disciples, John and Andrew, they were hanging out. And when they saw Jesus coming, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is where we get that revealing scene. When John and Andrew heard John the Baptist's words about Jesus, they were moved to follow Jesus. Now note Jesus' sensitivity. Let's read verses 38 and 39. It says, Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? Another translation says, what do you seek? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, come, he replied, and you will see. Another translation says, come, follow me. I hope you feel a winsome sensitivity in Jesus. No hard sell. No detaining of someone in conversation. No pushing of a formula for salvation. Rather, there's an invitation to a relationship. Come and see. Jesus invites. There's a beautiful instance of Jesus' inviting style in the book, The Horse and His Boy, which is one of C.S. Lewis's stories of Narnia. Aslan, the great lion, is the Christ figure in those stories. The lad, Shasta, is walking on a steep mountain pass in the middle of a dense night fog he senses a huge presence walking beside him shasta finally gets the courage to whisper out who are you who are you the resonant golden voice of aslan answers one who has waited long for you to speak and that's also jesus's style come and see he invites us into relationship with him point two Jesus cooperates with the Holy Spirit. Jesus cooperates with the Holy Spirit. And we see this especially in his encounter with Nathanael. Philip had invited Nathanael to follow Jesus of Nazareth, whom Philip was certain was the Messiah. 
Now, Nathaniel made that cynical response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip obviously took his cue from Jesus because he replied to Nathaniel, come and see. Let's continue reading from Scripture. I'll start at verse 39. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now note the quick change from cynicism to faith. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what he said first. And then he ended in verse 49 by saying, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What brought about this change? Hmm? There's no question about it in my mind. Nathaniel was impressed by the fact that not only had Jesus noticed him, Jesus knew him and honored his uniqueness as an Israelite in whom there was no guile. Later in chapter 2, John says that Jesus knew what was in man. He had a way of looking, a way of seeing, a way of discerning, and he valued every person for who that person was. He honored their uniqueness, but more than that, Jesus was alert and cooperated with the Holy Spirit. That's what he did. Are you willing to do that today in your lives, church? In those you come in contact with, are you willing to cooperate with the Holy Spirit? Point three, Jesus involves. Jesus involves. And it is all captured in that simple command to me. Follow me. Follow me. That is how Jesus called him. Have you ever noted that Jesus never argued in a sense of argue as we define it today? I mean, like, read the New Testament. The atmosphere of every encounter Jesus had with persons was charged not with argument, but with the necessity to make a decision. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? And it is only as we follow that we know the way. Jesus' plan is clear. We must enlist 
before he gives us orders. He must become, we must become his friend, proclaim him as Lord of our lives, and walk with him before we can know his purpose. He involves us with him and promises that he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, having said all that, let us consider a few guidelines of how we can apply this to our lives. So, this is what Jesus does in relation to us. He invites, he gives us freedom from sin and honors our uniqueness. He involves us and in the light of the way he called his disciples, he called us in the same way. He has called us to also be his witnesses. And so let's look at evangelism, Jesus' style. One big idea that emerges after everything we've read and we've talked about so far is that his style is personal and relational. There have been times when witnessing to strangers is effective. I mean, Campus Crusades did a credible, incredible job of that. There are occasions on an airplane, in a restaurant, at a party, in a chance meeting, a new neighbor. And in these occasions, we are called to witness. And witness we must. But that is not effective evangelism for all God's people. Besides, the vast majority of Christians do not feel comfortable doing that kind of witnessing. And thus, they feel ineffective evangelistically. But all of us can be witnesses using Jesus' style, which is personal and relational. I've mentioned this here before. And the Church Growth Institute in California asked 14,000 people this question. What or who was responsible for your commitment to Christ? Less than 10% accredited a pastor, a visitation program, or an evangelistic crusade. However, almost 90% said they owed their introduction to the Christian faith to a friend or relative. To a friend or relative. This is the most natural process whereby someone becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. It was a friend that invited me to come back to church. And I'm sure that many of you have stories like that of people who either invited you to church or someone you've invited as well. And so do you see where that puts us, this research and the opportunity it provides? The statistics are on the side of ordinary people, of you and I who are sitting in here, of those of you listening online who are willing to share their faith with those around them to be a friend, to make a friend, and to bring a friend to Christ. If that strikes you as a radical idea, I'd say it is biblically and theologically valid. We are to be Christ to others. Scripture says, in as much as you do, it unto the least of these you did it unto me the response jesus wants most from us who have given ourselves to him is to share his love through our actions our attitudes our relationships and our verbal witness with others suppose we decide to take that seriously suppose we decide to take that seriously what then 
is involved in being a friend, in being personal and relational in our witness to those in our circle of influence, to those in your circle of influence. You all know people that I don't know, and I know people that you guys don't know. And so we all have a circle of influence. And in order for us to fulfill the Great Commission, we must learn how to make evangelism a daily part of our life, and we should make it our lifestyle as well. And the Church Growth Institute statistics reveal what you have probably seen, as I said, in your own lives and those close to you. That is, the great majority of people who come to Christ are brought by ordinary people who take a genuine interest in them, who serve them, who share their lives, and eventually share the gospel. This is the most natural and effective method of evangelism. And scripture reveals the same truth that we see in this research and in personal experiences, which is most people come to the Lord through relationships. So let's talk about your circle of influence this morning. Repeatedly, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, we see people influencing those in their circle to Christ. And I don't have these up there, but I'll just list off some scripture here for you, and we'll read some of them. But Matthew 9, 10, Luke 5, 27 to 32, Acts 10. So many uh, examples in the book of Acts. 1 Corinthians, 2 Timothy. The most natural way to win people to the Lord is through one's Circle, And so what I'm about to talk about next is the circle principle. So here's some supporting verses. I'll read these ones. Luke 8:39. Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. John 1:45. We just read this. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Acts ten twenty four. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Second Timothy one five when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. These are all examples of people who invited people within their circle of influence to come follow Christ. Timothy was in his parents' and grandparents' circle. Can you see then how the early church used relationships as bridges? They used them as bridges to influence others and share Christ's love. And do you realize how the same principles they use still apply to our lives and relationships today? When you came in this morning, you should have received the handout. If you haven't received the handout, raise your hand. One of our ushers will get that to you. But you should have received the handout with some lines on it. And if you didn't receive one again, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Because what we're about to do next, I want us to identify our circle. Last week, you also got a handout and you wrote down those who are close to you. Those who are close to you. But this morning, we will identify those who are in our circle 
of influence. See, because while we may know hundreds of people, we all have friends of friends whom we know. We have neighbors, co-workers, or classmates. They are within our circle of influence. And studies reveal that the average person has 10 to 12 people in their circle of influence. Therefore, your circle is most effective, or is the most effective, rather, way of sharing the gospel. God's plan is that we influence the members of our circle who don't know him. That is his plan. So we should do that through serving them in love, helping meet their needs, and sharing your lives together. By doing these things, we may see them become open to the gospel. You know, all too often, as Christians, we only allow Christians into our circle. And we say, well, I'm saved now. And I only have Christians in my circle. However, I would challenge you and say that if we are to be true witnesses for Christ, we must also work to bring non-Christians into our circle. We must work to bring them into our circle. And so on that piece of paper you receive, I want you to make a list of the people in your circle of influence who aren't believers or who maybe made a commitment for Christ and have walked away or maybe who have not been attending church for about a year. I want you to write their names on those lines. I'm going to ask you, church, are you willing to let Christ make his love real to those within your circles? Those who are coming to your mind even now. Maybe the name that you probably don't want to write down on that paper, but you feel that the Lord is prompting you to write that person on there. I encourage you to write it down. Are you willing to pray and be available for the Lord to use you to see them come to know Christ as their Savior? And as you spend time in prayer daily for those in your circle, pray that their hearts would be softened to the gospel and open to your influence. Then ask God to reveal to you the best way to approach them. Maybe it's inviting them over for dinner or out for coffee, or sharing lunch at work with them. You know, when I used to work in media, we'd get a lunch break, and what I'd like to do is I'd just get my lunch and go sit in a corner because I just need some me time, some alone time. But if you're doing that at work, if you have the opportunity to do lunch like that, do it with others around you. Have conversations with them. Ask them what's happening in their lives. I'm not telling you you have to do that every day, but be open to doing that in your lives. Also, I want to tell you that a great resource we can utilize is our life group. Our life group. Why? Well, You can invite that person into that space, and your group will love on them. And I'm sure they'll hear about his transformation in their lives. So your life group is a great resource. Life groups are a major part of who we are here at LifeSpring. And the only way we can invite those into our circle of influence to a life group is if, one, we are part of one, and two, is if we've got space in our group. Currently... I'd say we don't have that. You're like, what are you talking about? 
Like, yes, we got groups that have been thriving. And what I really mean by that is that they are full to the max. Like, they have people out on the patio, like people in the kitchen sitting around. Like, they have no more space in their house. Like, they'd probably have to knock down a wall to make more space in their house. Like, I'm not exaggerating here. I'm serious. And so we got groups that are full to the max. And if we're going to create space for those in our circles, then we need more groups, which means we need more life groups, life group leaders. And you probably received an email from Pastor Laura earlier this week. If you've not, if you're not receiving those email, please come see me or Braden after service. We'll get you signed up for those emails. But we need more life group leaders or our current groups just need to multiply This is why this morning I am hoping that we can at least get three more leaders for the fall. I'm not asking you to sign up for the rest of your life. I mean, if you want to do it, we'll take it. But just for the fall quarter, we're trying to get at least three more leaders to sign up to teach a class this morning. If you don't know what that looks like, I encourage you, Pastor Laura, many of you know her. Raise your hand, Pastor Laura. See, this is Pastor Laura. You'd love to get to know her. If you've been... Yes, she deserves a round of applause. So if you've been thinking about a life group, if you have questions about what that looked like, please talk to Pastor Laura after service. We want to get more life groups going. One, for you to edify and build up each other, but also for us to create spaces where we can bring people who are in our circle of influence into those spaces so first you need to identify those in your circle of influence and hopefully you've already written down some names second i've got what i think could be some helpful tips for us to follow when it comes to loving those in our circle of influence first cooperate with god cooperate with god in gospel in the gospel of mark chapter 4 verses 2 to 8 and 13 to 20 Jesus used a parable to illustrate evangelism. Evangelism is a process. This implies that it takes time. So don't be discouraged if the person doesn't come to Christ right away. Cooperation with God and teamwork with other believers, your life groups, can help lead the others to Christ. And so this process usually goes like this. There's usually a cultivation period, which is like preparing There's a sowing period, which is like planting and watering. There's a reaping period, which is referred to as harvest. Now, only God can make seeds grow. All right? That's not our job. Only God can make seeds grow. But every believer is to faithfully obey God's call to cultivate, plant, and water the seed, which is to cooperate with God, cooperate with the Holy Spirit by building relationships sharing God's truth, and serving the lost. We must recognize that evangelism is a process that requires us to be sensitive to where people are at and to meet them at that point and to move them in the direction of having a personal relationship with Christ. Another one here for you. Cooperate with the Spirit. We talked about Jesus doing this, and we must do this also. You know, there are different factors that impact people and lead them toward Christ. 
The important thing to realize is that by being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, timely ministry, and to people's real needs, these things can manifest God's concern and power in a way that deeply speaks to them. Jesus' job assignment to followers was to go and make disciples. We are his disciples. Only disciples can make disciples. We should be reproducible disciples. That's who we are. John 16, 8 says, And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And in that passage, whose job does Jesus say it is to bring conviction to unbelievers? You're so quiet. Whose job is it? The Holy Spirit. We're to plant seeds. We're not to like hold them by the collar and be like, man, you got to come to my life group. Don't do that. All right? Don't do that. Don't do that. It is the Holy Spirit's job. It's not our job. See, when we reach out to unbelievers, often we make an exciting discovery. The Holy Spirit has gotten there ahead of us and is working in their lives and is preparing their hearts. God deeply loves each person and he is seeking them out. Therefore, it is our privilege and responsibility to cooperate with him in making his love real to them. So be a caring person who majors in encouragement. Be there for the lonely, the hurting, the suffering, for people who need a friend, who cares for them. You have people like this in your circle, people who are lonely, people who are hurting, people who are suffering, people who need your care. Chuck Swindle in his book, Killing Giants and Pulling Thorns, tells about a little girl who lost a playmate in death and one day reported to her family that she had gone to comfort the sorrowing mother. What did you say? Her father asked. Nothing, she replied. I just climbed up on her lap and cried with her. Sometimes we don't need to say anything. Sometimes we just need to be there with that person. That little girl had the right idea. Be a caring person. Be sensitive to people. Listen attentively. Listen to their feelings, their suffering, and respond caringly to what you hear. That's the key point there. Respond, but caringly, all right? Don't just respond any way we want to. Be a part of God's answer. We can't meet everybody's needs. We can't. That's just like the reality of this life. We can't, but we can meet the needs of some. And so pray not only for those in your circle of influence, but believe and pray also that God will give you opportunities to respond to those needs. And this is why you need to be alert, to be alert as you go about your day. Now that sounds prosaic, but it is crucial because... Do you try to meet people who move into your neighborhood, or does that scare you? Do you share your Christian life and church relationship with them, or does that scare you? What about people with whom you work, your social contacts? See, if we are alert to people, we will find ways of sharing the good news with them. The final thing I would say is evangelism, Jesus' style, emphasizes gospel, not law. 
gospel, not law. We actually read about that in our reading plan this morning. Most people don't need advice from us. They get plenty of that. They don't need us to preach to them or to argue with them, to try to convince them of some theological proof. Most people don't need advice from us. What they need is love. Not just our love, but Christ's love. The love that we have experienced from our relationship with him. And isn't that the gospel? Hmm? As we're coming to an end, I want to close with this story. And as most of you know by now, I'm, I'm originally from Belize. And annually, Belize hosts students from all over the world for a 10-month ESL class. And during one of these exchange programs, I met a group of them in September of 2010 and became friends with about 12 of them who came from all over Mexico City. And we started hanging out as friends and getting to know each other. And I showed them around the country, introduced them to my family. And in October of that year, Belize had a hurricane. I had four students who asked if they could come and stay with me because they hadn't gone through a hurricane before and they were very concerned. I was like, sure, you can. One of them was Alejandro Perez. And Alex wasn't even studying English. In fact, he had just accompanied his girlfriend to Belize. So he wasn't there to study English. He was there to just be with his girlfriend. And he was the one who asked if he could stay with me. And so the hurricane passed. And a couple of days later, I was leaving for Panama City for a few weeks on a short-term reporting and certificate course. And I told Alex that he could stay at my place. I came back three weeks later. And thinking about it now, I just trusted them with my place. I I, I really just did. They eventually moved back into their apartments, and we all kept hanging out. They went back home for Christmas that year, but before returning in January, Alex asked if he could come live at my house for about six months when he returned because he wasn't receiving any stipend because he wasn't studying English in Belize. And I told him, sure. You can come live with me. I invited him and others in the group to our church plant at the time. It was a four-square church plant, the same church Debbie's preaching at this morning. They came a few times. Alex left Belize in summer of 2011, and we kept in contact. We used this app called WhatsApp and Messenger. You might be familiar with those. And so I visited Mexico City in December of 2012, And we just remained friends. By this time, he and the girlfriend who he had in Belize, they hadn't worked out. But I also kept in contact with her and was able to visit with her and her family as well. However, Alex, by this time, he was now married, and I got to meet his wife, Lydia. In 2007, Debbie and I visited Alex so they could meet each other. And our friendship just continued. And he knew that I worked at a church. He knew I worked as a pastor. And ever so often, he'd ask me questions about what all that means. However, it wasn't really until 2019 that Alex started talking about attending church. I gave him the name of a local four-square church in Mexico because he liked the one in Belize. And he attended, but it was like an hour away. He eventually found something closer 
to his house. But then the pandemic hit, and he started watching Livespring online. And after Sundays, because he speaks Spanish, and he's trying to learn English, we listen to the service, but sometimes after the service, we'd get on a call and or in the week, and we just talk about what the sermon was so we can talk it through. In 2020, he made a commitment to follow Christ. Watch our pastoral, yes, watched our pastoral installation at One Hope and then started watching again when One Hope joined Lifespring at the start of this year. We still had conversations about services, but here's how one of those conversations went earlier this year. And I believe we have an audio if it hopefully works. Let's see if we can pull that up. Right. Do you not put subtitles in your transmission? Do you not put subtitles in your transmission? I'll tell you what he says. He, he, he sends me a message and tells me, why don't you guys consider doing subtitles in Spanish so that people from Latin American countries can understand what you're saying? He said, because I have some friends who I'm inviting to come watch your service at my house, but they only speak Spanish, and I try to explain it to them, but I barely speak English, so I'm sure I'm not telling them the full story. That's basically what he tells me. And I'm like, man, I love your heart. You guys should try and see if you can find a local church. And he's like, well, we'll just keep watching online. Here's a picture of Alex and his family. I have a picture That's Alex, his wife Lydia, and his baby. Five months ago yesterday, just before I was walking in for morning prayer and about to preach that morning, Alex's wife calls me and told me that he died earlier that morning in an accident and that they were burying him. She called me on Facebook so that I could see him and say goodbye. Debbie and I, we went out later that day, that Sunday, to just celebrate his life and reminisce on the memories made. For Alex, it took 10 years. 10 years. I didn't try to tell him, like, man, should be cursing and drinking. Just by spending time with me, he realized something was different. And I kept sowing those seeds over the years. He lived in a totally different country. But he wanted to know who Christ was. He had questions that come up. He had a daughter and he's like, I'm a dad now and I want to ensure. Oftentimes I've heard this from numerous guys who have met over the years. I'm a dad now and I want to ensure that I'm leading or leaving a good example for this child. So for Alex, the commitment took him 10 years. And in his process of trying to learn more, he also was inviting people in his circle of influence to listen. I tell you that to say this. There are people like Alejandro who you know in your circle of influence. And they are as important to God as Alex was. Church, would you pray, be available 
be caring and cooperate with God and the Holy Spirit? Would you be sensitive, listen attentively, and be alert to be a part of God's answer in their lives? To say to those on your list today that you wrote down, come and see. Come and see, just as Jesus said. That's evangelism, Jesus' style. At this time, I'd like to call up the worship team. And they're going to lead us in the song, Homecoming. And as we sing this song, hopefully you've written down some names. I want you to be praying for those people as we go into this week and the next and the next and the next. I want you to keep planting seeds. Don't lose hope. Maybe there is someone in your circle of influence who has walked away from God, walked away from Christ. Keep planting seeds. Keep praying for them. You know, the things we've talked about today, it's not everything evangelism is, but I'd say that it is enough to go on to enable us to practice evangelism in a personal and relational way. Church, you are God's ministers. There's no one else. I mean, there are other churches, but here at LifeSpring today, we are the ones who are called to witness to those in our circle of influence. Would you allow him to use you daily to influence others for the kingdom. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, as as we've looked today at our circle of influence, God, I know that each and every one of us have people in our circle, who we've either shared your word with, who we've sown seeds with, or who we haven't spoken to yet about you, God. I pray, Lord, may we take this opportunity as we continue to talk about evangelism over the next few weeks. May we be spurred in our spirits. May we be encouraged to share your love with them, God, with the neighbor, with the co-worker, or whomever it may be in our circle of influence, God. May we be reminded that it is your Holy Spirit that convicts, God, that we are co-laborers with you in this, and we get a great opportunity to sow into the lives of others, God. I pray may we do that, God, May we invite them to our outreaches. May we invite them or their kids to VBS. May we invite them to the movie night. May we invite them to the feeding program, God. Invite them to our life groups, Lord, where they can get connected and plugged into community, Father. I'm thankful that you continually pursue us, God. You're always chasing after us, Lord, because you are a good, good Father. So, Lord, we, the things we've heard today, God, I pray that may they take root in 
our hearts, God. May they not be just things that we hear and not adhere to, Father. But I pray, God, that when we leave here today and we go out into this week, Lord, may we truly consider it the privilege to share your love with those around us, God. I also pray for boldness, Father, for those of us who are here today, those who are tuned in online. Embolden us, God, but also teach us with that boldness how to be sensitive, God, of when to listen or when to speak up. I thank you for each and every one here this morning, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.